Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and we have a fantastic show lined up for you today. I have a special guest, Krista Maycomber, Senior Analyst, Data Protection and Security at Evaluator Group On. She actually leads that data protection and security group and coverage for the industry analyst firm of Evaluator Group. So in addition to that, also creating in-depth technical reviews and documentation of leading solutions in the space. And she is regularly uh, having conversations with IT operations about their most pressing requirements and challenges. Krista, welcome to The Gumbo. How are you? I'm excellent, Demetrius. Thanks so much for having me. How are you today? Uh, I am doing well myself. And in your own words, give us your own definition of who is Krista? (laughs) Sure, sure, Demetrius. So I've actually been an industry analyst for um, over 10 years now. Um, I've been with Evaluator Group for approaching four years. Um, I do lead, as you were mentioning, the coverage of data protection for Evaluator Group. So really digging into the top products and solutions for data protection from a technical perspective and working hand-in-hand with IT operations to um, solution around some of their most kind of pressing challenges and requirements. Okay, nice. And obviously, you you know that security is super hot right now. There's a, a lot of things out there that can do harm to an organization or an enterprise's data. Uh, the ransomware is out there. You have all these different types of AI and chat GPT. And I think I read something where someone's concerned or, or their concern that they may begin to use things like ChatGPT against us. But let's talk a little bit about just overall some of the security risks that are out there like ransomware and how should customers be thinking about resilience uh, within their environments and also disaster recovery from your perspective? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I would say off the bat, there's really newfound pressure to be prepared. So as you're mentioning, Demetrius, you know, we're hearing about it, we're talking about it all the time, and it's become a concern at the very top levels of enterprises, so really kind of the executive and board level. So from a trickle-down perspective, what that means is that IT operations is getting asked about, okay, we're hearing about ransomware, and we're also seeing that attackers are going beyond this. They're um, engaging in data exfiltration, cyber warfare, and so there's really pressure to be prepared for these types of attacks and, and really know what the plan for recovery is. So that has a number of kind of different implications for um, thinking about disaster recovery. It really means that the incident response plan needs to be well thought out, it needs to be tested, it needs to be documented. 
It needs to be automated um, to make sure that you can recover as quickly as possible. Another interesting angle is that, you know, these are new kinds of disasters. So it's not an earthquake. It's not, you know, something like that that we've typically seen in the past where you know exactly when the attack happened and things of that nature. Um, so that adds some some new implications mm-hmm. as well. Okay. And wh- where does backups fit into the equation, especially when we're when you're dealing with ransomware and it's a matter of when it happens because it's uh, it's going to happen one one way or another because I, I think I read one stat that said a ransomware attack happens every three seconds. I heard every 19 seconds, but it's probably going to happen or someone's going to get access inside of your network and they're, they're going to do something to your data or they will try to maybe tarnish your reputation or something to that effect. How does backups fit into that picture? So, you know, of course, it's predominantly the the angle of recoverability. So and in, in one of the unique challenges is that you might not know exactly when that attack happened, as I was kind of alluding to just a couple of minutes ago. So from a backup perspective, we're seeing, for example, analytics capabilities be built in to help uncover um, when an attack infiltrated the environment. Um, so this helps IT to not only understand, um, you know, sort of what data points they have to be able to roll back to, um, but also it can help to uncover that an attack has occurred. Those are kind of two of the big angles that we see, you know, but there's also, you mentioned the term cyber resiliency, you know, and certainly there's um, other tools being baked in to help prevent these attacks from occurring to begin with. And also, as I was alluding to, to detect that they've happened as well. Okay. Awesome. And you you mentioned automation a little bit as well. And uh, I want to see maybe what are you seeing just from an automation perspective? Is it just, you know, automating workflows and, and being more efficient with, you know, being able to secure an environment or maybe do some monitoring, et cetera? What, what's your angle there? Sure. I would say, you know, certainly a little bit of all of those, um, but really what I was kind of in particular focusing on was automation of disaster recovery processes. So as you mentioning, really those workflows, um, we actually fielded some research um, late last fall, and we asked customers about the um, some of the top data protection tools that they have implemented over the last 12 months for cyber resiliency. And we found that implementing regular testing and validation for DR and cyber resiliency um, was, um, was actually cited by over 40% of respondents. Um, so again, it's sort of the testing and validation, um, but also automating the recovery operations as well. You know, so helping customers to identify the data points they can roll back to um, and then automate those workflows as well. And w- what are your recommendations around using some of the the old traditional tried and true methods that some people and organizations may still not be using? I just saw that Twitter just uh, sent out something about disabling two-factor authentication and that you now have to use an external authenticator. So I had to go and and, and, and take care of that and do that for my Twitter account. Uh, but using multi-factor authentication and, and also zero trust architecture and maybe even immutability, what, what are some of your recommendations just around utilizing some of those uh, factors? Sure. So um, we are seeing multi-factor authentication play 
um, an increasingly important role in the backup environment. And that is because, you know, you also, Demetrius kind of threw out the term immutability, right? So thinking about backups and thinking about what we've been talking about in terms of with these attacks, it's not so much a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, you do have to assume that, um, you know, these attackers are going to find a way in. Um, so having capabilities like immutability, um, which is the ability to inhibit um, a backup copy from um, being kind of changed or altered or things of that nature becomes important because if the attacker does gain access to the backup environment, then they can't change the data. Um, you know, but also when we think about multi-factor authentication, really approaching the backup environment with a philosophy of sort of, you know, these privileged, um, you know, kind of having role-based control. Um, so having certain administrators have access to, you know, certain portions of the environment, but also making sure that they have the minimal permissions that they need um, to do their job becomes important. And even going a step further, we have been taking a look at a number of what are called kind of data vaulting solutions, um, which are designed to kind of provide a separate um, backup environment to that is isolated from the main backup environment. And what we're seeing is that even in some of these environments, having what is called um, two-person concurrence, so requiring two administrators um, to approve certain actions like deleting a storage volume or deleting certain copies, for example, um, those are playing a role as well, even beyond just the role-based access control and multi-factor authentication, assuming that potentially some of these accounts could be compromised. Okay, it sounds like the power that the president has over the nuclear button. Like exactly. Multiple yep. people have to, <laughs> maybe he uses it, the fingerprint and someone else puts puts in a code and someone else does facial recognition. I, I, I don't know, I guess I've been watching too many movies, but... I I also wanna wanna just get your perspective as well on some of the um, I know I mentioned about the A no I don't I hadn't mentioned APIs yet is that is that something you're you're seeing or you you're willing to maybe give your perspective on you know the importance of of APIs and you know how how just super critical is it is because especially you know there's a lot of different SaaS you know, applications out there, there's hundreds. And it's been said that enterprises have hundreds of, of SaaS applications out there. Uh, and, and maybe if you don't want to speak on APIs, maybe just that expectation that the data is protected in a SaaS application like Microsoft 365 or Salesforce or the list goes on that maybe it's not protected because there's a shared responsibility model and you're responsible for your data. Absolutely. So I would say that, you know, certainly APIs are a, a, a portion of kind of the threat landscape, right? So there's certainly a, a significant area of potential vulnerability, especially as you're mentioning, Demetrius, as we use more and more applications that are hosted in the cloud. You know, I would say the technologies that we look at do tend to focus more specifically on that data layer, but you bring up a very important point regarding the cloud and regarding SaaS applications. And we are certainly still seeing that there is this assumption out there um, amongst many that 
because I am going ahead and, you know, for example, using Microsoft 365, just as one example, they're telling me these guarantees about the application itself being up and available. But sometimes we do see that the other end of the equation is missed in terms of the fact that the customer is still responsible for data protection. So all of the best practices that we think about, including, you know, having that externally protected copy, for example, um, you know, with all these different capabilities that we were talking about, immutability, role-based access control to that backup storage environment, for example, um, you know, those become important as well, especially in the potential event that, you know, there is a ransomware attack or another cyber attack. Yeah, and I just did an episode that, it was titled Compliance is Not Security, which it made me think, right? Because some people think that, oh, you know, there are all of these different compliance regulations out there. You have GDPR, CCPA, SCC 17-A, uh, 17A-whatever, right? See, it's way too many out there because <laughs> I can't even name half of the uh, PCI DSS, the, the list goes on. So just because you think that you may be compliant, that you are secure. So those are two different things. What do you think on that? It's absolutely. So, I mean, certainly these compliance regulations are important steps towards being secure. Um, you know, and certainly I would say by and large, they do include a whole host of best practices that we would certainly advise from a security perspective. Um, but from my perspective, typically these regulations tend to be a little bit more focused on, you know, some of the elements we've been talking about, such as who has access to the data, um, but also, for example, the right of the individual to have their data, um, you know, be deleted after a certain point of time or anonymized if they so choose. So I would say they typically tend to be more about how the data itself is handled, more from kind of a privacy perspective and how long it needs to be retained for. But then security, um, you know, really goes much further. Um, and it really is kind of, I would say, a team sport, um, you know, across the organization looking at, you know, these best data protection practices, you know, but also extending up into the application layer, like what we were mentioning with, for example, some of these API vulnerabilities. So it has a, a much broader scope. And we do have quite a few C-level executives listening to the gumbo, um, CISOs, CIOs, CEOs, the list goes on. What, what would you, what would be that takeaway for, for them if they were listening right now what would be that one thing that you would just want to reiterate to them around keeping their, their data safe and secure? Sure. So from a C-level perspective, I would say making sure that your teams are collaborating together on this, I would say really at the end of the day would be the number one piece of advice that I would give for those particular individuals. So making sure that the you know, IT operations and data protection teams are you know, working hand in hand with your security teams um, from that comprehensive perspective to make sure that you know, all the vulnerabilities are shored up, to make sure that that holistic incident response plan is in place collaborating with the application developers to make sure the application stack is secure as well. So for that particular audience, I would say that would be really the big thing that I would suggest they keep in mind. Okay, awesome. And, and are you working on something big that you can share that, that maybe you've already 
dropped and published uh, from from Evaluate a group that you want everyone to maybe check out or maybe put a plug in for for anything you're working on? Sure. So I alluded to some primary research um, that we we actually fielded it last fall, and um, we published it earlier this year. This was regarding overall trends in enterprise data protection, and it does dig deeply, you know, into a number of these topics, thinking about areas such as how are these cybersecurity requirements then trickling down and influencing data protection technology purchases and requirements, for example. And we also have done pretty in-depth audits of a couple of data vaulting solutions um, and those one has published one will be published so this information is all available on our website um, you know for anyone that is interested okay awesome so be sure to go and take a look at the website there evaluatorgroup.com is that correct that is correct and uh, specifically go go search and, and look at Krista's profile and, um, you know, click on it and download it. And I'm sure you will have to pay. <laughs> uh, but also, before I let you go, are you reading anything? What's on your nightstand? Sure. Um, so just in general books, I mean, you know, I do spend a lot of my time kind of really digging into these technologies. So in terms of reading and stuff like that, that does tend to take up a lot of my time, um, you know, but lately I've also been trying to keep up with, um, you know, other policies and things of that nature that are related to cybersecurity. So I actually did recently publish a blog um, earlier this week on the Biden Harris the Biden Harris administration announcement from a couple of weeks ago. Cybersecurity strategy. Yes, exactly. Um, to really help our clients understand what that means for IT operations. So. I would say a lot of my time tends to <laughs> tends to go towards um, those types of endeavors these did, days. Did you want to maybe give a brief update on on that, if if you don't mind, what happened, what went down, kind of what it is in a nutshell? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, so it's a pretty in depth strategy. So what I will say is that we're still awaiting details in terms of how um, how the policy is actually going to be put in place and executed. But a couple of key takeaways that really bubbled up to me, one of them was that um, industries, to the extent that they can, are going to be um, held, you know, by the government to higher standards um, for cybersecurity and data privacy. So there's certainly a tone that sort of best efforts is not sufficient anymore. More de- some additional detail in our blog, um, but those are really some of the for IT operations, some of the big takeaways from my perspective. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of those wonderful best practices and, and insights and recommendations. And I also wanted to leave a plug for the Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. It is a group that I created a long time ago. I won't tell you the year because I will tell you how old I am and I have some gray hairs here. (laughs) But there's over 25,000 professionals in that group. They are security, backup, storage, um, also all different types of professionals in that group. We have some great conversations. And so go check it out and have conversations with your peers. And also, uh, Krista, I want to thank you so much for being on Data Protection Gumbo. And until next time, everyone, stay safe, keep your data secure, and back up often. <laughs>